Well, good morning to each one this morning. I was blessed by being here. Appreciated uh, Marcus's opening. I'm not sure if it was a uh, introduction to my message or a conclusion, but I think it goes along quite well. Planning to talk about truth. And as I studied this subject, I realized it was a huge subject. Too big for one sermon, I suppose. And I know I can't do it justice. But I found it difficult to make an outline. There was just so many thoughts. And what do you say and what do you not say? So it might seem kind of random at times. My studies seem random, so I suppose the delivery of the message will seem random as well. So I started thinking about truth. Of course, you're trying to have a definition so everybody knows what we're talking about. And a simple definition that I thought of myself was the way things really are. That's a pretty good definition, isn't it? Um, but the problem with that is that it leads us on an endless journey to find out why, how things really are. And how do we know how things really are? We've got to keep searching and searching. And Men have been searching for that for thousands of years. Back in the time of Jesus, Pilate said, what is truth? You know, he was part of the Roman Empire, and the Romans had their gods, which they said were true, and the Jews had their gods, which... The Jews said we're true, and so how do you know what's truth? Then Jesus talked about truth. So he said, what is truth? Is there any truth? How can we know it? And as we, uh, as I observe in just the last, I suppose, 30 years, I find it unbelievable what men are discovering is no longer true, supposedly. Just because you were born a boy or a girl doesn't mean that's what you really are. That's what they say is true. And it just puzzles me beyond measure. I can't believe that that actually happened. <clears throat> Who knows? In the future it might be that just because you were born a human doesn't mean you're a human. Maybe you can choose to be a giraffe or an elephant or whatever you want. It would be kind of hard to choose to be a fish. probably wouldn't survive too long, but... So that definition has a problem. It doesn't really answer the question, what is truth? So we could add on to that the way things really are according to God's perception. Does that sound better? We brought God into the picture. Maybe that's better. But the problem with that is, that would indicate that God perceives truth and then tells it to us. Like he is searching for something beyond himself. And that's not the case. He doesn't discover truth and then reveal it to us. God is the source of all truth. He's the author of truth. Truth is that which is consistent with the mind and will and character of God. It is the self-expression of God. 
So now we're getting down to what truth is, even though we might not understand it. We know the source of truth, and that gives us confidence. It, we no longer have to wonder all our life, what is truth? When we really let it settle into our hearts that God is the author of truth, <clears throat> have some verses here that I want to read. Just that brings that out very clearly. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Deuteronomy 32.4, He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is he. Psalms 31.5, Into thine hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. Psalms 105, For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. That fact that his truth endureth proves that it's truth. Truth always endures. Truth never changes. It will never go away. Only that which is not truth changes. And Jesus, as God's Son, is also truth. In John 1.14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then in verse 17, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. That supersedes even the law. <clears throat> John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John 5, 20, And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding, that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. <clears throat> Revelation 19.11, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. The Spirit of God is truth. John 14.17, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. <clears throat> John fifteen twenty six. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. John sixteen thirteen. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. And the word of God is truth. God is truth, and his word is truth. Thou art near, O Lord, and all thy commandments are truth. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Now I'd like to go to Genesis chapter 1 and look at the beginning of truth. not going to read this chapter, but 
there's, uh, this is the account of how God created. Basically, he just said, God said, let there be light. And God said, let there be firmament in the midst of the waters. And God said, and God said. He was not only creating things, animals and water and light. I believe he was creating truth. He was a source of truth and he said how things will be and that's how they were. He could have done a lot of different things. He didn't uh, need to create things a certain way or follow a pre-existing set of rules. He didn't sit down and say, now we're going to make a cow and we can't put wings on a cow because they're too heavy to fly. Or when he made a monkey, we can't put a trunk on a monkey because it'd get in the way when it climbs trees. He didn't have to do that at all. He made him exactly the way he wanted to without any restrictions. So he was creating truth. And then he said, when he was all done creating, uh, let's see, I should probably just read that chapter, that verse. In verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And I thought, of, as I thought about that, you know, it's amazing that God himself said it's very good. When we see God's creation and discover what he made, we have to say it is very good. It's amazing. But it was, it impressed God maybe. I don't know if you'd say that or not, but God himself said it's very good. <clears throat> the truth that he had made was very good. And ever since that time, man has been discovering truths about creation. And they try to twist things to avoid God in the picture. And they come up with all kinds of weird things because all these truths about the creation must be in agreement with the Word of God. That is the only unfallible interpreter of nature. But we see a problem if we go to chapter 3. A problem with truth. The destroyer of truth was there. He was called a liar. The serpent came along. I think I'll read 1 to 6, verse 3, chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said. Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, and your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Satan called God a liar. He reduced him to a worthless being. If he's not truth, he's a liar. And he's worthless if he's not truth. And gave men the idea that they need to look elsewhere for truth. 
God didn't tell you the truth. You have to look elsewhere for truth. And he has been doing that ever since. Deceiving people, telling them lies. Jesus talked about the devil. He said, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. He can't speak truth. He speaks lies about God. He speaks lies about ourselves. He speaks lies about other people. Speaks lies about the situations we face. Speaks lies about everything. Isn't all sin the result of believing a lie? That's all Satan does is lies to us, makes us believe untruth, and gets us to sin. When we live in the flesh... We believe lies because it's pleasant to us. We can make things appear however we want. We can, or people can, hopefully we can. People can make God however they want. They want God to be uh, being out in nature that doesn't, isn't relevant to them, or they want to eliminate God altogether. They think they are in control of their own lives. <clears throat> Romans 1, 18 to 23 speaks about this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. And then skipping some verses, going down to 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. And also in 2 Thessalonians 2, 9-12, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned, who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. They received not the love of the truth. That is so key in these situations. They wanted to get rid of God. They wanted to believe a lie. And we can sit here this morning and look out in the world and think, yeah, that's really sad how people are. They have put God out of the picture. They don't even believe in God. And they're going downhill and believing lies. You know, we have the Bible. We have the truth. 
And so we are not affected like that. We don't believe lies. We don't believe the gross lies of the world. Satan knows better than that. He knows we'll never believe them. So he transforms himself into an angel of light. I think we need to acknowledge that within each of us, there is that tendency to believe what is not true, to believe a lie. Because believing a lie is pleasant to the flesh. There is that tendency within us, and we need to be on guard. Of course, it appears to be truth to us because no one would believe something that they know is a lie. We just don't do that. We're smarter than that. If we know it's a lie, we don't believe it. So we only believe what is truth. And the thing about a lie is that it's intentional. And of course, that lie comes from Satan. He is intent on deceiving us. People around us, I don't believe we are deceiving other people. We don't say lies intentionally to deceive people. But there is still a tendency to believe lies, and that comes from Satan. And I'm not talking about just a lack of facts. Sometimes we believe something is a certain way because we don't have all the facts. That's not what I call deception. But it's not necessarily believing the truth. But I'm talking about things that Satan brings to us to believe a lie. And he begins his work in our heart. Our heart is defined as the inner man, our thoughts, our will, our inclinations, and our affections. That's where Satan starts his work, deep in our hearts. And our heart is easily affected by the flesh and self. So easily swayed one way or the other. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's quite a verse. The heart, our heart is the most deceitful thing that we have to deal with. Surely not our heart, is it? Surely we aren't that bad. Heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Do you know your own heart? Have you done careful examination? It is always causing us to think in ways that make room for the flesh. Always bent toward pleasing the flesh. You know, we make decisions because, well, what's wrong with this? Or, yeah, on and on it goes, trying to make room for the flesh. Or causing us to think in ways that promote our flesh, lift us up in pride. Such a sneaky lie. Or that protect ourselves. If something comes to us that we feel is threatening to us, how do we think about that? We start protecting ourselves and lashing out at others. And our heart never wants us to think in ways that 
might make us change. That exposes the need to change. We never want to think in those ways because it's uncomfortable to change. We feel comfortable in the way we are thinking, in the way we are going, in the way we see things. So if we start going down a path that, oh, that looks like I might have to change my opinion, we turn around and hightail it out of there. We don't want to think in those ways. It continually asserts itself as well able to form unbiased opinions. When I see a situation and I form an opinion, then probably that's the way it is because I can see things pretty well. That's what our heart tells us. It amplifies the faults of others and seldom notices our own. It knows no pride except in others. It's easy to see when others show pride. But we always have a reason for the things we do. You know, we don't have much pride. And if you don't think the heart is deceitful, I would guess that as I was going down through this list, that you were making your own list of people that this fits, and you probably weren't even on the list, or maybe clear down at the bottom. You know, I'm up here talking this to you guys because you might have that problem, but I don't have that problem because I, I understand all this, so I don't have that problem. Or sometimes it goes the other way. Our heart amplifies our own faults, condemns us, and tells us we're worthless. We aren't worth anything to God or man. We're just completely worthless and continues to run ourselves down. <clears throat> Surely our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And this list could go on and on. But what can we do about it? Our heart is so deceitful and how can we take care of that? How can we fix it? Well, first of all, it needs to be renewed. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. But even after it's renewed, the battle is not over. It needs to be carefully guarded daily, lest it will come behind us and slay us again with deception. Psalms 139.23 says it very well. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the only way to avoid being deceived by our heart, is to opening ourselves up to God, because only God knows the truth of our heart. But isn't that so difficult to truly open ourselves up to God? It is very difficult. We can say, okay, I want to have God search me. So we say the prayer, God search me and try my heart. And then we wait for a couple minutes and we don't hear anything. Oh, good, I must be okay because God didn't tell me anything. It doesn't work quite that simple. Jesus said we need to take up our cross daily. 
And I think that is the only way that we can allow God to have full access to our heart. Every day say, God, you've got to work in my heart today and help me to hear what you have to say and help me to understand the situations that come to me that you want to show me my heart. Daily surrender to him. Now we're going to go to John 14, 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now that was two verses from two separate places, but they fit together quite well. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Only Jesus could say that he is the truth. He didn't just say he is truth, but he is the truth. That's singular. There is only one truth in that regard. There is no other. And of course, we can't say that, that I am the truth. What if Jesus would have said, I have some truth. He would have been totally worthless. He has some truth. We couldn't depend on him to have all truth. Completely worthless. It's kind of like yesterday I was planting corn and we have a monitor that tells us how the planter is working. So we can see clearly if it's working or not. And there was one row that the monitor said is not working right. So we go back and see what's wrong. Nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong. Try it again. It still said something's wrong. And we worked at it for probably two hours. Try this and try that. And the monitor still said something's wrong. Finally, after enough troubleshooting, we discovered that the monitor was wrong. So the monitor was worthless because it had some truth but not all the truth. So Jesus has all the truth. He is completely trustworthy. Completely trustworthy. We can have confidence in Him. But just knowing that He is the truth isn't enough. We need to come to Him. If we come to Him, we will know the truth. And the truth will set us free. Jesus said, Come unto me and I will give you rest. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest and freedom are similar. So how does the truth set us free? I'm not sure that... I mean, I think this could probably be a sermon in itself. How does the truth set us free? Well, one thing is, like it says in Romans 8.28, it says that... uh, We know that all things work together for good to those that love God. Okay, so we know that God is in control and whatever comes to us is for our good. And that can set us free. We don't need to worry that things are out of control. We don't... um, God is in control and we don't need to be in control. Because we can't control things. If fear and worry come upon us, 
and we start giving in to those things. Doesn't that put us in bondage? We can't operate like we should if we don't have fear and worry. So that brings us into bondage. So if Christ sets us free from that, that's how the truth sets us free because we know God is in control. Offenses work the same way. If we take up offenses, it makes it difficult to operate freely. It brings us into bondage. But if we give those things to God, He will set us free because He knows the truth. He knows the truth about those offenses. Or revenge, we may feel revengeful towards someone. God said that, I, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. He doesn't say, I might repay. He says, I will. There is coming a time when God will revenge all evil. And therefore, it sets us free. We don't have to take that up ourselves. Because that would bring us into bondage, always looking for a way to bring revenge. <clears throat> truth and Accepting God's truth might not solve the problem instantly. It wouldn't take care of the problem right away. But then we are free to hear from God. When God says, I want you to do this in this situation, we are free to do that because we are not under bondage in thinking it has to be the way we think it is. It sets us free to hear from God. but we tend to keep our distance from God. That's the way I find myself. We tend to keep our distance. We're kind of close to God, but not maybe as close as, I mean, we're a little bit afraid of what He might tell us. And so we tend to keep our distance a little bit and listen to our heart. If we're listening to our heart, we will remain in bondage because our heart deceives us, even though we're thinking that we are free. When Jesus said that, uh, John eight thirty two, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You know how those men responded that he told that to? He said, oh, we're not in bondage, we're free. Was that the truth? Nope, it was not the truth, even though they thought it was. So let's get close to God. Let's listen to what He has to tell us so He can set us free. In conclusion, we have a choice to make. There's a choice before us. God, the essence of truth, the creator of unchanging truth, completely trustworthy, who will set us free or Satan, who is always hidden, who wants control of our hearts and to make us comfortable listening to its lies and keep us in bondage.